There are things you're addressing. There are things that you're going to be fixing. There are things you're going to be ministering unto us, and we are super grateful for it all. For we know that we can do nothing in and of ourselves, but it is all that we yield over to you. We thank you for light. We thank you for illumination, revelation. We thank you for clarity and understanding that in all of our getting, we will get understanding. We thank you for it right now in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. Would you please be seated? I'd like to welcome all of you that are here. And of course, those that are joining us uh, online, we'd like to welcome you as well. If you would all turn to Mark 16, and we're going to start in the 15th verse. Mark 16, in the 15th. No, I apologize. That's not where we're starting. John chapter 5, verse 1. John chapter 5, verse 1. No, I'm kidding. We're not going to start. No, I'm kidding. (laughs) John chapter 5, verse 1. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now, There is at Jerusalem by the sheep market a pool, which is called in the Hebrew tongue Bethesda, having five porches. In these lay a great multitude of impotent folk, of blind, halt, withered, waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel went down at a certain season into the pool and troubled the water. Whosoever then first, after the troubling of the water, stepped in, was made whole of whatsoever disease he had. And a certain man was there, which had an infirmity thirty and eight years. When Jesus saw him lie, he knew that he had been now a long time in that case. And he said unto him, Will thou be made whole? The impotent man answered him, Sir, I have no man when the water is troubled to put me into the pool. But while I am coming, another steppeth down before me. Jesus said unto him, Rise, take up thy bed, and walk. And immediately, and immediately, the man was made whole. He took up his bed and walked, and on the same day was the Sabbath. Look at somebody and just tell them, you got too much junk in your trunk. (laughs) Look at somebody else, tell them the same thing. (laughs) <laughs> and that wasn't a compliment. <laughs> Some of you are like, oh, thank you. No, that wasn't a compliment. <laughs> you, have to, uh, you have to begin to process and kind of see what's going on here. Jesus shows up. There is a whole bunch of sick people. And... All of these sick people are sitting around and they're waiting for the angel to come and to touch the water. And when the angel touched the water, the angel carried enough healing power and healing ability that when he would touch the water, he would impart into it healing. And then whoever got in the water first uh, was able to receive that healing and they were healed of whatever plague that they had. And so as Jesus is walking uh, through all of this, you have to begin to realize that there is a whole bunch of sick people all sitting around waiting for God to, to move. And Jesus passed a whole bunch of sick people, stepping over this one, stepping over that one. Excuse me, I'm sorry, pardon me. And he gets to one man, and he asks him, he says, will you be made And the man responds, he says, sir, I have nobody to put me in the water. He says, so when the angel touches the water, I I never make it in time. He said, I'm too slow. Now, he's been sick for 38 years. A lot of times people don't understand that when you've dealt with something for a long time, uh, it, it's, it's a little bit 
disturbing. And it, it's altering to you. So, for example, first marriages, your first marriage, there is a 50% uh, failure rate. It's a flip of a coin on marriage number one. Marriage number two goes up to, because I want to make sure I get the number right, 67% failure rate on marriage number two. Marriage number three is 73% failure rate on marriage number three. This tells us a couple of things. One, it tells you that experience doesn't always make you better. You know, people say practice makes perfect. You know, practice doesn't make perfect. Perfect practice makes perfect. In other words, practicing it right will make it perfect. But you can, you can practice. I mean, you look at uh, when I was in real estate, you know, you had to sign so many documents. Now, you know, we didn't have uh, DocuSign where you just click, 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 and it's all. You had to. You had to. And now my signature is terrible. And, and, you know, you see a doctor and they scribble on their notepad. And you're like, what in the world is this saying? Well, they write a lot. It's a lot of practice, but doesn't get any better. The second thing we begin to understand is that as marriages, first, second, and third progress, your tolerance gets lower and lower to put up with crap. These are the things that we can surmise from this statistic. And I think the reason that we often don't realize how difficult things can become is because when you start dealing with your future, you have to be always reminiscent or mindful of your past. And I don't mean to the extent of living in your past, but to the extent of understanding what your past has created in you. See, life is an amalgamation of things, association, influences, environment. I mean, there's so many things that life comes at you kind of fast. Uh, if you have children, you know when I say this statement, you know what I mean when I say the days are long, but the years are fast. And you blink, and your kid is talking to you like you're talking to them. And you're like, Where, who raised you? Because <laughs> you almost forget that's your child. <laughs> and the answer to that question is you did. And you begin to understand that as you go through life, one of the things for my own self, I... I I always used to think when people would say, you know, they'd sit on the, the psychiatrist or psychologist, you know, couch, and the first thing they'd ask me is tell you about your childhood. And I used to wonder, what has your childhood got to do with today? And the older I've gotten, the more spiritual guidance sessions I've had to do, I've become readily aware that whatever happened in your past will surface in your future. Amen. Things that are not dealt with will always rise to the top. And so many people, what they want to do is they want to sweep it under the rug. Right? Whatever it was, I'll, just, I'll be okay and I'll just sweep it under the rug. The problem is when you get to running, you're going to trip over what you swept under the rug. Because putting things under the rug is not the same as putting things under the blood. And when you put it under the blood, that's when you are able to allow God to work in the midst of your situations. I am keenly aware that as we understand our lives and we begin to realize that 
the things that happened to us when we were kids, the things that happened to us in our first relationship, the things that happened to us in our first marriage, the things that happened to us as we were growing up, the things that we felt were not within our control, not within our uh, abilities, and it happened not with us, but it happened to us. It, there's one thing for things to occur because they are consequence of decisions I've made. It's another thing for things to occur that I had no ability to decide, but yet it happened anyway. It, you know, when, when you look at the, the disciples came to Jesus and they said, listen, uh, this man is blind. And he said, uh, who sinned, him or his mother or his parents, basically? And the, 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 the nature of that question is rooted in one idea. Who messed up? Because if he was born this way, if these things happened to him without some type of volitional decision, it was not a decision of my volition that I became blind. I was not playing with a firecracker and it blew up in my face. I was not doing something with some type of chemical and I was doing something I shouldn't have been doing. I was born this way, which means I had no choice but to live through and to experience things that I did not decide for myself. And Jesus' response was classic because it didn't matter who did it. What mattered is that all of this was arranged for this moment. This moment where you would ask me this question and I would say to you, it don't matter who messed up. It doesn't matter who sinned. It doesn't matter if you did it or didn't do it. It doesn't matter if you caused it or didn't cause it. The whole point of all of this that we go through is so that you would come to know that God is the only person that can change the whole situation and to depend and trust on him. He said, and so for this reason was the Son of God made manifest that he might destroy the works of the devil. See, destroy, when you, when you understand destroy, <clears throat> you ever have a, a, a nice sweater and you get caught on something? And then and, and it pulls out and you're like, oh God, now what am I going to do? Right? And so you start kind of working it back in. Because you know if you pull it, what's going to happen? You're going to destroy it, right? That word destroy in the Greek would be likened unto taking that thread and just pulling it out. He said, I came to destroy. I came to unravel everything Satan Whenever Satan is brought into your life, he said, I, I came to just, you know, there, there's always one thread with him. Everything that Satan does, there's always a thread that's loose because he can't be perfect. He's flawed by nature. His attack is flawed by nature. His plan is flawed by nature. And he said, I came because I know where the thread is. So no matter what, how great that sweater looks, no matter how nice that suit looks, there is one spot because he is not capable of creating perfection because he thought he was perfection. He thought he was perfection until he put himself above. And God said, I'm going to show you, you are not perfection. He said, so every plan he has against you, there's a threat. And he said, I came to destroy. I came to unravel. <laughs> and one of the things I've, I've learned is that if you're patient enough and, you, and you're able to step back and watch God move, he will just slowly unravel it. And the very plan, the very weapon, remember because he says, he didn't say the weapon wouldn't be formed. A lot of people struggle with that. He said, no weapon formed shall prosper. You'll see the weapon. It's even going to be formed. It's even going to be pointed at you. He's even going to pull the trigger. <laughs> Are y'all starting to get my point? And so... <clears throat> He says to the man, because some of you I know are wondering, don't pull Bethesda. 
He says to the man, will you be made whole? The, The problem with will you be made whole is there's an automatic implication that I am not already whole. And there's no argument there. He's sitting at the pool of Bethesda. He's waiting to get in. He's obviously sick. He's been dealing with it for 38 years. And Jesus says, are you ready to be made whole? We are made by our afflictions. We are branded and scarred by our lives. The worst is when you have someone you trusted. When it's your parents, right, or a parent, or someone who is an authority figure that was responsible and tasked with the responsibility to protect you. And yet, the very place that your attack comes from is the one who was supposed to shield you from it. It is confusing to to the undeveloped brain that is processing all kinds of things in life to then see someone who is supposed to love you abuse you. And you become muddled in the way that you think that love is supposed to be. Because when you see your father abuse your mother, your mother abuse your father, you begin to realize, well, they're my parents. They're superheroes. So that must be what love looks like. And you become scarred. When you have inappropriate relationships and become stunted because you're unable to process what this is really supposed to look like. And so now you're like, wait a minute, am I supposed to, as a young boy, be with another man because a man has done this to me? So the man has a developed brain, so they're mature and older. This must be what it's like. So I turn my life that direction. And I pick up what I should have never been carrying. And then you have, at times, young ladies who have been accosted by an older figure, man. And because they never want to feel that way again, they turn to another woman. I'm preaching way better than y'all amen it. That's cool. I'm used to the silence. But what I want you to begin to process and begin to understand is that what people marketing, let me come at it from this perspective, marketing. Marketing is all based on risk and reward, pain and pleasure. If you look at every commercial you've ever seen, it is doing one of two things. It is either trying to move you away from a pain or trying to take you into a pleasure. That's what they do. That, that's, that's what marketing is. Because they know that without providing pain, you will never change. You'll never make a decision to buy. You'll never go to the store. Without having pleasure, I cannot convince your kids to bug you to buy them this thing under the pretense of they will find pleasure. And if you've had kids, then you know that they seem to find more pleasure in the doggone box Then they do what's in the box. I can go to the store and get you a box for $2. (laughs) Why do I have to spend a hundred and something dollars on this thing so you can play with a box? (laughs) But it's because this is what motivates people. (coughs) And when you see God as a God who brings pleasure to your life, you pursue him because he's a good God. When you see God as the one who's waiting to hit you upside the head for every mistake you make, you run from him 
in order to think you follow him. Because I don't want to be hurt. I don't want to mess up. I don't want to. And you live as if God is running around playing whack-a-mole. Remember the carnival game? Little head pops up and you just... You would be shocked how many people are constantly thinking God is just waiting for an opportunity to inflict pain. That he's just waiting for you like he's sitting there going, mess up, just mess up. Can't wait. Thunder from the sky. Burn you up. Instant fire. Fire! And the duality of this creates a problem because it's duplicitous. It, it, it doesn't make any sense. How, how do you come to a God and ask him for help when you think he's going to hurt you? How do you come to God that you believe is going to punish you for what you've done wrong and then tell him what you've done See, and it creates in all of us uh, a place of, can we really trust in him? Because we had a father. I'm telling you, one of the greatest things I have learned when it comes to Christianity is people's ability to see God as a father is problematic because there's so many bad fathers out there. (laughs) In other words... If your father wasn't a certain way with you, you struggle with having God as a father. Because you naturally, that's why I remember he said, if parents know how to give good gifts to their kids, how much more? But what people don't understand is how much more they think is equal to or as. <laughs> so if my father did this, then God is going to... If my father abandoned me, then God will abandon me. And now I have no ability to trust God in the midst of crisis. I have no ability to trust God in the midst of all hell breaking loose. I have no ability to trust God because if I couldn't trust the one that contributed to my conception, that should have been there. Then how do I begin to believe a God that I can't see when I can't trust the father I could see? It's not just fathers, mothers. I mean, you know, you understand my point, the the trauma of all of these things. And so 1 Corinthians 6.12. 1 Corinthians 6.12. Paul, as he's writing to the church at Corinth. He's trying to correct things with them. He's trying to help them to understand how to live their life in a godly way. And if you could imagine writing this letter to the city of Las Vegas. (laughs) Times 10. Because he's trying to help them and the church to understand that you were saved. That's great. But you weren't just saved from. You were saved to. In in other words, it's one thing for you to tell me if I'm sick with a terminal disease that today I won't die. It's one thing to tell me, tomorrow, you won't die. And every day I come see you, you tell me, today, you will not die. There keeps a certain level of tension and friction between us because I'm waiting for you to tell me I won't die. But if you come to me and I say to you, not only will you not die today, but you shall live I have now released the tension between you and I for me to be able to then begin to expect, to anticipate, and to believe again that I could have a full life. Some of you get this in a minute. 
So as he's talking to them, he's saying, listen, I don't want you to think about what you've just been delivered from. Because if you just think of what you've been delivered from, you'll keep living like you are. I need you to understand what you've been delivered to. Because he says you could be saved and still be bound. You can be saved and still struggle with your sexuality. You can be saved and still struggle with being a thief. You can be saved and still struggle with your mind. You can be saved and still struggle with your body. You can be saved and still struggle. Well, I thought when I got saved, all these feelings would go away. Mm -mm. No. No. (laughs) No. And so he writes to them and he says, all things are lawful unto me. In other words, I can pretty much do anything I want to do. I can do it. Anything. You understand we have free will. We as people can do whatever we want to do. He said, but... All things are not expedient. In other words, beneficial. Producing some level of good result. He said, all things are lawful for me. He said, but I will not be brought under the power of any. See, (laughs) he's telling us there are things that have power over you. Listen, if you struggle with lust and you struggle with a drive, an unchecked sexuality, unchecked sexual desire, you will never know how strong it is until you are single and making the decision, I'm not going to do it. (laughs) It seems at that moment in time when you say, I'm going to live for God. I'm going to live celibate. It seems like at that moment in time, every piece of chocolate cake on the planet. When you say, I'm going on a diet, I'm going to eat healthy. Every person comes, Pastor, I brought you just a gift. What is it? It's these crumble cookies. Devil! Get thee behind me, Satan. Nobody ever brings me apples. (laughs) Pastor, look what I made for you. Tamales. I don't want them. (laughs) Actually, I do. (laughs) But I don't. (laughs) You never know the power that you are under until you go to break free from it. It it is uh, one of the issues with painkillers is that the addiction to painkillers can become so subtle and powerful that you never know you're really truly addicted until you run out. See, and that's why he said, all things are lawful for me. He said, but not all things are profitable to me. Not all things are expedient. In in other words, I will not be brought under the power of any of these things. Because the more you bring yourself under the power of something, the more control it has to dictate your life. And what I'm trying to get you to understand is that freedom is not just my ability to do anything I want to do. That's what the world will tell you. Oh, freedom is your ability to do anything you want to do. That's when you're free. See, I I don't want to be a Christian because Christians is just too, uh, uh, it's too constraining. It's too restrictive. I want to be more fluid and be free. That's how people think. And they live their lives running a little rat race, being fluid. And they never know how much bondage they're really under until you begin to confront the very thing they are bound by. 
I'm okay with you being a Christian. Just don't tell me how my sexuality is supposed to be. If I want to be a head of lettuce, that's what you should call me. If I want to be determined as whatever I feel on that day, then that's what I want to be. And you have no right to infringe upon my freedoms because I have freedoms and you don't. I have freedoms to do what I want and say what I want. You have freedoms to be quiet and accept it. And so then freedom is not the ability to do whatever you want. Freedom is the ability to choose and to know that I can do what God has asked me to do. And he empowers me to do it. And he gives me the ability to do it. And as I choose him, then whom the sun sets is free indeed. So now I can have a Holy Ghost party and I don't have to wake up with a hangover. I don't have to miss work over it. I don't have to feel sick over it. That God begins to bring things into my life that allows me to have healthy relationships that will not. And so what we begin to see is that real freedom is in life. And having a life that brings a full supply to every demand. Now I'm truly free. <clears throat> I, I remember uh, I was watching this uh, financial guy. And he said, here's the problem with COVID. He said, people are quarantining and they're upset. Remember when everything was on lockdown? And he said, the problem that many people are not understanding was that quarantine became a financial indicator. And let me explain. He said, for people that didn't have, they were quarantining. He said, for people that did have, they were in isolation. (laughs) See, (laughs) messing with you right now, ain't we? See, we like being by ourselves. So when you told me we had to stay home, <laughs> like, we like the Lord is my shepherd. He know what I want. <laughs> but see, other people are like, that affects my life in such a bad way. But yet they're free. <laughs> see, when, when, you, when you begin to understand all of this, you begin to see the juxtaposition of realities. Because, for example, when you see the Apostle Paul, who's writing a letter to Timothy, and he says, Timothy, my beloved son of the faith, he says, I want you to run your race. And he goes, and I want you to finish strong. Yet, he, yet Paul's in prison. <laughs> it's like you getting a letter from somebody in jail telling you to do great things. <laughs> My son, run your race. Finish strong. Be great. What are you talking about? Dude, you in jail. Don't talk to me, criminal. And yet while Paul is incarcerated, He is preaching liberty and freedom to those who are not. (laughs) And this is where people don't begin to understand that you could be walking around and not be free. You could be uncaged and still be unhinged. (laughs) Let me, uh, let, let me, let me. Second Peter. Second Peter chapter two, verse nineteen. If you could put in the NIV, I would be greatly appreciated. Appreciative. I would greatly appreciate it. Sometimes I have to remind myself that I must speak as though I am the sagacious person that I am. 
and I do have a vocabulary of someone who is worthy of a doctorate. Because <laughs> I have an edumacation. <laughs> so they promise them freedom while they themselves are slaves of depravity. For people are slaves to whatever has mastered them. If they have escaped the corruption of the world by knowing our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and are again entangled in it and are overcome, they are worse off at the end than they were at the beginning. It would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than to have known it and then to turn their backs on sacred command that was passed on to them. Of them, the Proverbs are true. A dog returns to its vomit, and a sow that is washed returns to her wallowing in the mud. <laughs> he says that for you to understand that if you have been delivered and set free and you've received the word that tells you that you can walk free from it, to return from it is like a dog who goes back to his vomit. It's like a pig who we've washed. We've made them clean. And the first thing you let a pig go, he's going to go right back to the mud. Because besides, that's what pigs do. He said, and the very thing that they have been set free from, it if it masters them, they will return to it. And he said, the problem is that when you didn't know, that's one thing. But once you do know, how could you go back to what you already knew wasn't it? How do you find yourself in a relationship where you left somebody who was abusive and hurtful to you, very damaging to you, yet you feel drawn and compelled to be with them again? And you go back and get hurt over again and go back and get hurt over again. And then you say, I wish I could find a way to get free from this. You were free. But you turned your back on freedom in the name of freedom. So, can I, can, I, can I do a demonstration? And I'm going to use a married couple because nobody is proposing. Because, <laughs> yeah, because I, I think some of y'all like starting to catch on. <laughs> so, I'm, I'm going to use a married, Austin and Christina. Let me, let me have y'all come up here, please. If you would please step up, help them up on the stage, please. <laughs> okay, you stay right here. I want you to come over this way. Come on, come on. You stay there. You stand right here. Okay. So <clears throat> when Jesus said to this man, I'm going to release the tension for you. Because a lot of y'all have been wondering, okay, what is this? So I'm going to release the tension for you just a little bit. Jesus said to this man, will you be made whole? Can I have a pen for a second? I feel like my net worth just dropped holding that pen. <laughs> Dear God, Michael, come on. <laughs> okay. Michael, will you have this pen? Mm -hmm. Will you have it? How do you know? How do you know I'm going to hand it to you? Did you have this pen? You had this pen. But will you have it? You don't know, do you? Because one, I'm speaking to the future. So he said, will you be healed? Yes. And the man said, I have no man to put me in. Jesus, no, I didn't ask you your past. I asked you about your future. 
But see, when you've been dealing with stuff for 38 years, you become so laden down with what used to be. When your husband before acted a certain way and burned you a certain way, now you assume that when I'm speaking to your future, that all men are dogs, that all women are this. Because you have been through this, you can't even answer an objective question about your future because you can't even see it. Because you keep talking about your past. Tell somebody they got too much junk in the trunk. So then, he has that. You can go back over there and stand. And you're going to need that. And you're going to need that. Where are you going? He don't need, no, 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 get over there. You got your own problems to worry about. Come on. Come on, grab them all. You got to hold them all. Hey, Al, come here, Al. Help them with that one. And that one. And here, you need that one. Because she went through a marriage, and it didn't turn out so hot. And he was abused as a child. And she was. And he doesn't, she doesn't know who to trust anymore. Come on, get it all. And then, dearly beloved... We are gathered here today to witness these two people as they join in holy matrimony. So, come over. You okay? Come on, hurry up. Come on, let's do it. Okay, really? Come on, towards me. You got it? You sure? This ain't easy, is it? It's not easy, is it? You can just drop it off. (laughs) Because what he was saying was, I will not be brought under the power of these things. This is why I said that the sin that so easily besets us, let us run our race. Because you can't do it. See how difficult it was to maneuver? Yet people stand before God and the preacher man and they say I do carrying all of their baggage and realizing it's heavy and the the thing is see you see it just as clear as day but what happens when nobody sees it I thank you guys thank you It's important for you to begin to understand that he's dealing with what masters you. And whatever masters you, it becomes baggage. Hence, too much junk in the trunk. What pains, what hurts, what struggles that you're going through, that you're still carrying, Oh, unless we not forget, we got a little baby involved too. Here, carry that one too. And all of the baggage and all of the stuff. And then we try to stand before each other and say, I'm okay. Are you sure? Look at Psalms 109, verse 22.
He says, for I am poor and needy, and my heart is wounded within me. Verse 26. Help me, O Lord God. O save me according to thy mercy. Verse 31. For he shall stand at the right hand of the poor and save him from those that condemn his soul. People have no idea. He said, I'm wounded in my very heart. See, your spirit cannot be wounded. That's why when people say you need deliverance, your spirit needs deliverance and all that stuff, your spirit is sick, that's not possible. Your spirit belongs to God. If you are a born-again believer, your spirit belongs to God. Amen. So any hurts in your life have to be in your soul, yeah. your mind, your will, and your emotions. And what people don't understand is how strong wounds that are in your soul can actually be, how it can change your perspective. You walk around saying, I don't want a husband. I don't need a wife. Sure you do. But those wounds are talking because you don't want to ever be. Well, you know, I just, I'll never let another man do that to me again. It wasn't another man that did it. Proverbs 13, verse 12, in the message. Proverbs 13, verse 12, in the message. Unrelenting disappointment leaves you heartsick, but a sudden good break can turn life around. See, hope deferred, as the King James says, the hope deferred makes the heart sick. But when it comes... It's a tree of life. But what happens when you're not looking for it? Because you're too busy wrestling. You're too busy trying to hold it all because you don't want to let it go. Too busy trying to carry it all because you don't want to let it go. I'm saved. Jesus has set me free. But I'm going to hold this one. And I'm going to hold this one. And I'm going to hold this one because this is my reminder to never let it happen to me again. This is something. And so I'll hold this one too. And I'll hold this one. And if we had the ability to x-ray as you stood there pronouncing your vows, (laughs) we would begin to realize you got way too much junk. And the wounds that are in the soul, in, when I was in the computer business, I don't know if they do this anymore. They may, I don't know. But how many of you ever heard of the program uh, Microsoft Excel? Okay, well, when Microsoft Excel first started coming out in different versions, they had what was called an Easter egg. And an Easter egg was a certain place, a certain cell that you could go to that was very far off. You wouldn't normally go to it. And when you went in there and put a certain code in, it would turn Microsoft Excel into the game Doom. And if you don't remember the game Doom, it was just a shoot 'em up game. But it literally would turn it into that game. And it was called an Easter egg. It was an Easter egg because if you didn't know, you would never be able to do it. But in the computer world, they would leak it amongst technicians and engineers and then they would find it and tell somebody and it just would be one of those things it's kind of like a secret but you wouldn't know it till you got there and what happens is wounds on the inside of you that trauma things you've been through nobody knew that that was the issue until they got there you didn't know that you had a problem with it until your husband does something that looks very similar to something you went through and there's an emotion that pops up in you that you can't control. And you're like, wait a minute, where did this come from? It was an Easter egg. Satan knew, I'm going to plant this in you and it will come later. It'll come in a moment between intimacy, between you and your husband. It'll come in a moment between when you're fighting with your wife that something will rise up and you're like, where did that come from? It was an Easter egg. It was one of those things he planted a long time 
ago. And insecurity, you had a long time ago. It was your baggage. It was your junk. (laughs) And I'm not advising you to open your heart and close your head. Because that's dumb. God gave you a brain for a reason. If he looked like a duck, (laughs) if she quacked like a duck, she's a duck. (laughs) Are Are you with me? And, and so you have to obviously use your brain. But what I'm trying to get you to understand is you have to be careful because even in your marriage, you're bringing your junk to the table. Even in your dating, even in your single life, there's junk you've got to deal with. This is why in Philippians 3, Verse 7. Let's go to John 7, 17. I'll come back to that. John 7, 17. It's in red. Who's talking? Jesus Jesus says, If any man will do his will, he shall know of the doctrine, whether it be of God whether I speak of myself. In other words, if anybody would just do it, you'd know whether it was of God or not. Most people want to know if it's of God before they do it, which is the antithesis of faith. (laughs) He said, but if you would do it, because the things he's teaching them, he's like, if you would just do it, you would see the result and you would know it was of God. But what stops you from knowing it's of God is because you still hold to you. (laughs) Philippians 3, 7. Keep that thought. But what things were gained to me, those I counted lost for? Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Jesus, my, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dumb, that I may and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, and the righteousness which is of God by faith. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. So here's what he's saying. He said, my righteousness, my history, my ability... He said, I count it as nothing. I count it as dung. Dung is is doo-doo. Crap, nothing. He said, I count all of that as nothing because all I want is to win with Christ. He said, in him, I have my victory. In him, I have my righteousness. In him, because of my knowledge of him, I am set free. So he says, I count everything else as nothing. Keep going. Verse 9. And be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is of the law. In other words, the things that I did was of my own behavior and of the law, which means absolutely nothing. Verse 10. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. Verse 11. If by means, any means, I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. Keep going. Not as though I've already attained it. Either we're already perfect. In other words, I haven't arrived. I still have struggles. I I stayed single for a certain amount of time so I could prepare myself for my future husband. And I'm not perfect, but I'm so much better 
than where I used to be. And as I present myself to you, I'm telling you that I'm still flawed. I still have some baggage, but I've dealt with most of it, so I'm, I'm, I'm ready. I think. I've been preparing for this moment all this time for you to be my bride. I've I've been getting myself where I need to be. He said, I'm not perfect. So I'm not trying to tell you I've attained. I'm just trying to tell you that I think I'm ready. But I follow after, if that I may apprehend that for which I am also are apprehended of Christ Jesus. Keep going. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended. I don't count myself as somebody who figured it all out. I don't count myself as someone who doesn't have any baggage. But this one thing that I do, I forget those things which are behind, and I reach forth unto those things which are before me. I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. He said, I have not arrived, and I have some stuff that I'm working through, but what I'm learning to do is forget that stuff behind and press towards the mark of the high calling of God because I'm after the prize as a runner who runs a race. I can't carry all of this baggage and still run at the same time. I can't carry you with me. This happened 20 years ago. I've got to let it go. He said, I press towards the mark of the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Let us therefore as many be perfect or mature, be thus minded, that if in anything you be otherwise minded, God shall reveal it to you. Because if you want to know if the doctrine is real, then give it a shot and try it. And when you walk it out, God will let you know that I'm with you. But he ain't going to do it until you take a step. He ain't going to do it until you say, I'm letting this go. He said, you want to know if it's my doctrine or not? Give it a shot. Try it. Try it. Well, you don't know what they did with me. I just can't. You've got to forget those things which are behind. You're walking around with too much. It's too heavy. He says you want to win the prize. You want to run your race. You know, it's so funny how he goes from winning the prize, running the race. And then he goes, verse 16. Nevertheless. Whereto we have already attained, let us walk. Huh? We're running. We're running to win the prize. What happens if you're in the middle of a race, Al, and you start walking? Huh? You're going to lose. You, you don't have to think, Al. What is it? Okay. All right. You're going to lose. You're going to lose. And God said, listen, <laughs> if you trust me, all I, I just need you to walk. You might not, listen, you might not be able to run. You might be up there like, I, I don't think I can run with all this stuff. That's fine. Walk. He said, and if you walk by the same rule, let us keep our mind on the same thing. He said, while everybody else is free, you'll be... He said, and as you go, stuff will break off. As you go, this will get loose. As you go, I'll release those things. As you go, I'll heal you of that. As you go, I'll break you free of that. As you go, I'll get you delivered. As you go, you'll be whole. And you'll be walking. And all of a sudden, everybody's still behind you. Because you are pressing towards the mark of the high calling. Because, he said, 
I don't need you to show out. I need you to show up. You show up, I'll show out. <laughs> you show up, I'll get it done. I'll make it happen when there was no way. I'll get you out of a situation when there was no way you could see out. All you've got to do is discern and understand. You got one job. Forget those things which are behind and press and press. Forget and press. Forget and press. See, pressing, you played football, right? Come on. Pressing is the idea that there's, there's resistance. I got to press. And if I try to go this way, press. This is what happens. It's the press. And he said, but all I need you to do is forget these things which are behind and just press. He said, and listen, you ain't got to run. You just press. And he said, I'll make this work. I'll make this work. I'll make this thing happen. But you better learn how to press. Because if you think there's no resistance, that's not what it is. You ain't going to strut all up into it. You're going to hit some resistance. And sometimes that resistance will shock you. Sometimes it'll hurt you. Sometimes it'll scare you. But you got to forget those things which are behind. And press, baby. And press. He didn't tell you it wasn't going to be without a struggle. He never promised you that it was going to be easy. He didn't say all things are easy. He said all things are possible. And you better know. You better know. It ain't easy. It wasn't supposed to be. And all of your baggage. All of your stuff. God still said, you trust me, you walk with me, I got you. And you'll notice the load will get lighter. Every time you take a step, it'll get lighter. Every time you go, you'll test and see what doctrine this is. You'll test and see what manner of man this is. God didn't ask you, were you healed? He already knew you weren't healed. He already knew you've been struggling for years. He already knew you've been going through it. He didn't ask you, were you healed? He said, will you be healed? Will you be made whole? Will you? Because if you make a decision to say, I'm not going to be broken, not one more minute. I'm not going to struggle, not one more minute. I'm not going to let myself go through it, not one more minute. Then, then God begins to speak to your future like no one could ever speak to it. Because when God speaks, he prophesies. When God speaks, he decrees. When God speaks, he calls those things that are not as though they were. Because they are. And the more you begin to try to think your way through. <laughs> Jesus didn't say come unto me and think. He said come unto me. And drank. Drank baby. Not, not, not. Well, let, me, let me process this in my cerebral cortex. No. Sometimes you need a kick in your coma sayama to get your cerebral cortex to start thinking different. Because we going to the other side. And it's not about what you've been through. We all have stuff. We all got junk in the trunk. But it's time to pull over, pop the trunk, <laughs> I'm getting rid of this. I'm getting rid of this. I'm getting rid of this. <laughs> Some of you, the reason why you can't prosper is because you're afraid. You're afraid to prosper. Some of you, the reason why you can't get healed is you're afraid to be healed. You're like, what will that look like? 
I don't know, baby, but it's better than being sick. It's better than being in the struggle. Well, I just don't know. I mean, I get a lot of tension from it. Son, I don't need attention. I need help. I need victory. I need power. I need to be delivered. I need to go to the other side. I can't stay over here. This stuff is too heavy. I need to run my race. And God said, if you trust me, if you'll lay it down, I'll do it. I'll do it. Listen, everybody in the room, just, just put your hand right on your stomach. Because here's what I know. Here's what I know. And I mean, when I say I know, I know. The presence of God is here right now. <clears throat> if I called a line, I, I'd empty everybody into this line. I already know that. Because we're all going down this road. And with the presence of God being here, I don't have to lay hands on you. You can lay hands on yourself. But you better understand and declare and decree and recognize that you got to follow. He said, you'll know if the doctrine's right. <laughs> you know what he was saying? He was saying to you. So, so I, let, me, let, me, let, me, let me take it through the, the Dr. Gene translation. He's telling you, you may not be sure, but what I'm telling you is gospel. And if you would just take a step, he said, I'll prove it to you. I don't need to prove it to you. He never told me to prove the gospel. He told me to proclaim it. <laughs> he never told me I had to prove the gospel. He said, I just got to proclaim it. And when I proclaim it, he follows behind and makes sure that if I preach the gospel and you believe and you take a step, he said, I'll provide the miracle signs and wonders. I'll fix situations that are going on. While you're standing here, I'm working everywhere. While you're standing right in this room, I'm changing things all around the world in just a moment. There's no distance in the realm of the Spirit. So, Father, we thank you. We thank you and we receive. We can't keep going forward with this weight on our shoulders. It, it's, it, we've had enough. We tried in our own ability. We've tried of our own strength. And we just can't do it anymore. Lord, we're sick and tired of being sick and We've been wrestling with it, trying to convince ourselves it didn't happen because maybe we'll feel better if we don't talk about it. But it keeps rearing its ugly head. So, Lord, I thank you. We're going to take a step of faith by, with you. We're going to decree and declare. Say it with me. I've been delivered. I've been set free. All of these weights that try to easily beset me, I'm laying them down at the cross. Jesus, you bore it for me so that I don't have to. When you said it was finished, you meant it. I'm done. Trying to be you, trying to be God, I'm giving it over and I'm trusting you. No more junk. 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 In, my trunk. In my trunk. I'm done with it. Done with In Jesus' name, Jesus. I, will never I will never be the same. Be the same. Amen. <laughs> Glory to God. Hallelujah. Blessed be God forevermore. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah.